It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. Fire Away Friday, one of the favorite things that we get to do. This is Bert Harper along with Alex McFarland. But it's combined this time. We've got something to add to it. We are in Nashville, Tennessee at the National Religious Broadcasters Meeting, and, and that would be great. But we've got a third factor in, really four, because we have two guests. Yes. And uh, we're going to take questions, but not on the telephone. These are questions that's come in by word at AFR.net, or they've been coming in by just asking Alex and myself questions. And so we're going to take a stab at answering them. Most of the time, you just get to listen to two of us. Today, how about four? Surely one of us would get it right, guys. What do y'all think? <laughs> yeah, I think so. And, Bert, I want to tell you, you know, you and I had a book come out in the fall just about three months ago called 100 Bible Questions and Answers. Well, I was going through my show notes, plus I sent a tweet out. I have before me 65 recent questions from Exploring the Word listeners. I don't know if we'll get to all 65 in this show, but uh, it's so special, folks. You are uh, listening to us from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. We have two valued colleagues with us at the mic. One, Dave Glander, Reasons for Hope. Dave and I have known each other, oh, 15 years, I suppose, talking to youth. Dave is an apologist and great speaker for all ages, but especially young people and biblical worldview. But also, truly one of my heroes in apologetics is Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries. And I want to say to Dave Glander and Kirby Anderson, thank you for being with us. And even more importantly, thank you for your service to the body of Christ. Amen. Thank you for having us. It's, a, it's an honor. And always good to be with you as well. So looking forward to this. It is a joy to have you guys. And Amen. With Kirby, I've I've met several times at NRB most of the time, but I did meet him when he came to AFR. Mm-hmm. And Dave, it's good to have you with us today. I'm excited about this. I don't know. Have we met face to face? I know we've we've Just done this radio. Week. Yeah, Just that's right. Yeah. This week, yeah. and it is good. It's good to uh, see you finally. Usually, people who say they you look met, better in person than well, I thought. That's what I said. Uh, you know, I have the face radio. I showed up at the headquarters, and they said. You're hired, and uh, so that's it. But we are glad you're here, and Alex and I love to do this. We love to intermingle with our people. When we're out with people, it's a joy to meet them, and I know you guys enjoy that. But we have people that call that call in and do it regularly, but they also ask questions, you know, by Internet yeah. and uh, Facebook. So we're going to look at those, yeah. Alex. And, and, you know, while Exploring the Word is predominantly a Bible teaching show, in fact, in, in – more than a decade. I suppose we've been through every book of the Bible pretty much, haven't well, we? Well, not thoroughly, completely all of them. It's hard to go through Psalms in 150 days. You know, well, that's yeah. true. So what we've done with Psalms is just take it from time to time. And uh, But we've got some that they've at the AFA store. Dot uh, yes. net. You can get proverbs and some more there, and, and uh, so we're we're glad y'all are here. But exploring the word is very much oriented toward biblical worldview, and a lot of our questions, as we'll see in a moment, deal with apologetics. I, w- I just want to ask this, uh, Kirby: um, How important is it that the the body of Christ not only know the gospel, but really how to defend it as well? 
I think it's always been important because in the first century, of course, we have the admission to always be ready to make a defense, from which we get the word apologetics. And so it was true then, but I've said that in some respects, the 21st century is more like the first century than any century that came after it, Mm. because there was a sense in which you eventually got a Christian consensus, as you know, in Western culture. And, uh, you know, you think when Thomas Aquinas writes the Summa Contra Gentiles, you know, the argument against the Gentiles, he was doing that as sort of a philosophical discussion. It's uh, doubtful he'd met that many non-Christians. How many non-Christians have you run into these days? You know, you can see how different it is. And we've gone from a time in which Christianity was a minority and then it was even a persecuted minority to eventually became, on paper at least, a majority. But now it's become a minority once again. So answering questions has always been important. But I think it's even more important in this century than any time we've ever faced it. Answering questions with right answers. That's even better. That's mm. even better. And I say that because without that Christian worldview, biblical worldview, that's right. it's going to be skewed. Every yeah. once in a while, a blind squirrel finds an acorn. And, and that's true with people out there. I've heard people talk about, oh, I've learned that if you give money away, and uh, it seems to help you. You know? Well, God came up with that a long time ago. <laughs> they just found that out. So right answers to good questions. Yeah. Uh, Dave Glander, uh, what are some of the common apologetics issues that, uh, you know, Kirby, I agree with you. We live in a world where Christianity has become kind of the persecuted minority. But when the world has questions and even objections, what are the common types? I want to I want to piggyback off of what Kirby said for just a moment, because I bring kind of a different perspective into this. Mm-hmm. Living as a militant atheist for the first 30 years of my life, I remember back when I was a kid when everybody went to church and I was looked at as funny because I wasn't going to church, you know. Then I got saved, radically saved, went into the church on fire because I had really kind of a Damascus Road experience. So I came into the church on fire like, wow, this Jesus guy is amazing. And I kind of found people just twiddling their thumbs going, praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord. And, and I was like, wait a second, did you not meet the Jesus that I've met? You know what? I, I didn't understand. And then over the past, it's it's been about 19 years since then. In the past 19 years, I've just seen Christianity dwindle down to the point where we're in a crisis. We really are. And you can't do evangelism without apologetics. I, I'm not in today's culture. In this world. Yeah. yeah you, if you're going to share the gospel with people, especially in America, they've already kind of made up their mind who they might conceive Christ to be. It's kind of this a la carte, you know, pull a little bit from here, a little bit from there. And so you've got to overcome this hurt or they don't believe in God at all. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't tell them about Jesus being God if there's no belief in God in their worldview. So you've got to have a at least a basis and a foundation. You don't have to be an expert, but you have to have a basis or a foundation in apologetics just to be able to evangelize in today's culture. I found out something that is so true in that area. The Word of God is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. If uh, I had a sword in my hand and you said, I don't believe that's a sword, what's the best way to prove to you it's a sword? Hit him with it. Yes. <laughs> the Word of God will not return unto you void. So being equipped to answer, you don't have to say, well, it, it says in Titus or it says in Leviticus. You quote that and it goes through with, we're talking about people that are unchurched and and. The Word of God does its work regardless of who it's doing it toward. Now, it will accomplish something. 
And so the Word of God is still a vital part of what we do, isn't it, guys? That's well, why it's it the Word, I think, so important. Yeah. I, I want to get to one more question, I mean, before we get into the listener questions. But, Kirby, um, you and Probe Ministries just recently celebrated a wonderful milestone of your apologetics ministry, and we congratulate you on that. The question I have for you is, in, in the time that you've been in the ministry, and specifically the apologetics ministry, what um, what changes have you seen from when uh, Probe first started to where we are now? How is the world different? Well, and I think I'll answer that question that you just asked a minute ago, because we would go on to college campuses, and I would do that with Norm Geiser. Long before Frank Turek was doing that, we were going on there all the time. And what we found is originally, back then, we were quoting people like Francis Schaeffer and other people like that, and the kind of perennial issues were out there, arguments for the existence of God, creation, evolution, but then very quickly surfacing a couple of others, and that is at 1970. 73, since I'm the old guy around the table, uh, then abortion became legal, so we began to speak on pro-life issues, Mm -hmm. and then we began to speak on feminism, and then we began to speak on the issue of marriage, which you know now, and so in some respects, you've had the perennial issues, you know, how could a good God allow evil in the world, and creation, evolution, those kinds of issues have always been with us, but there are a lot of more contemporary issues, and uh, next week, for example, I'm speaking on woke theology, and we have booklets at point of view on things like racism and critical race theory, but also climate change and all sorts of other issues. So it just has changed in some respects because there have been so many more voices, just almost a cacophony of voices challenging Christianity, sometimes overtly, sometimes covertly, and so that is the case. But anyway, we are here celebrating 50 years of point of view. Marlon Maddox started in 1972. People asked me last night when we were doing an event, did you start it? I said, no, I was not old enough to have started it in 1972, but Marlon did it. You remember this. Oh, yes. From 1972 to 2004, when then he left us. And I've been doing it really since he asked me to be a guest host, 1986 to now. So he did it 32 years. I did it 36 years. We overlapped 18 years and yeah. 50 years and counting. Marlon Maddox, uh, let's, let's say a word. He was really the first talk uh, personality that I listened to. He really was. And he captured my attention as a young adult back in those days. He really did. And he, he did a job of equipping on the radio. Even with that, he gave answers to yeah. those questions. And it's continued today. And, you know, uh, Kirby, you mentioned the late, great Norman Geisler, who was my professor in grad school at Liberty University. Um, A few years ago, I did a book for Thomas Nelson on pushing the limits of youth ministry. And Sean McDowell and I, son of Josh McDowell, we did this whole section on biblical worldview in youth ministry. And I interviewed Dr. Geisler. And the reason I'm saying this is because I, I honestly believe as the 70s began, the Lord began to do some incredible things within apologetics that we're enjoying the fruits of still to this day. And of course, Norm Geisler was an, a prolific author, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant thinker. We used him in so many of our conferences. But Norm talked about one of the most significant things was the rise of Josh McDowell. From 1970 to 1980, Norm said this, and I asked Josh, and it was to Josh spoke on 1,000 U.S. campuses in 10 years. And Norm Geisler said, you know, you've got C.S. Lewis wrote, E.J. Carnell, 
along comes Francis Schaeffer, and there were some great thinkers God raised up. Stuart Hackett was one, you know. But um, Norm Geisler said one of the most significant things was just the unrelenting travel schedule of Josh McDowell, and he almost single-handedly raised apologetics awareness, didn't he? He certainly did, and I introduced him to our faculty and to the students in 1974 because I was vice president of the student body. And at, at what school? And that was at Oregon State, at Oregon. that particular one. And then Norm Geisler and I worked together because I, the first book I edited at Pro Ministries was one of his books, Roots of Evil. And then Norm Geisler and I started doing all sorts of debates. We would go on to college campuses. matter of fact, uh, my wife is here, and she remembers this. We went to or- Oklahoma State University. And in that particular case, we spoke in the classrooms, and I spoke in 17 classes in three days because <laughs> the entire staff spoke in 175 classes in three days, spoke to 6,000 students, didn't even have to put up a poster for the privilege, and then we did evening events. And sometimes you'd have a Josh McDowell, or sometimes Norm Geisler and I would um, do a debate on atheism, and we've mm-hmm. debated a lot of those individuals. You remember some of those debates. And sure, so sure. that goes all the way back to the legacy of Norm Geisler, the legacy of Josh McDowell. And then since then, you know, I've even published a book on the whole issue of uh, Case for Heaven, and I realized I published that book before the person who wrote the most recent book, Case for Heaven, Lee Strobel, <laughs> had even become a Christian. So, you know, <laughs> as the old guy around the table, I remember the old days when we only had evidence that demands a verdict and Norm Geisler's general introduction to the Bible and a few of that. Yeah, yeah. Now you have so many okay. books, it's hard to figure out how many books well, are out there. I, I want to say this, and Dave Glander, I want you to chime in. And folks, we are going to get to questions. This is Fire Away Friday, but this is a special show, honestly, this uh, biblical worldview show that we're doing on today's edition of Fireway Friday. Well, we got our first break, folks. Don't go away. I've got 65 listener questions. We'll get to some of them. You're not all of them. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. But Dave Glander of Reasons for Hope, Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries, on behalf of Bird and myself, we welcome you to Exploring the Word, and we look forward to when we come back right after this brief break, folks. Don't go away. This is Pause to Pray. A chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Catherine Coulter Mitchell, Acting Undersecretary for Science and Technology at the Department of Homeland Security. She heads the Research, Development, Innovation, and Testing and Evaluation Activities in support of operational components and first responders across the nation. Proverbs 19.20 reminds us of the importance of good advice. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Catherine Coulter Mitchell in her role at DHS. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans has often said that salvation is free, but not cheap. There's a cost to discipleship. And he'll tell us more about that today as we spend two minutes with Tony. When a person joins the armed services, they join for free. You don't have to buy your way into the army, to the Navy. You don't have to, you don't have to buy your way in. They will gladly receive you for free. But now they're going to tell you when to wear, when to get up. They're going to assign you where they want you to go. Because guess what? You got in for free, but now they own you. 
you can get saved for free. In fact, the Bible says you are saved apart from works. You can't buy salvation. You can't earn salvation. You can get in for free. But once you're in, God says, I want to own your life. You are not your own, the Bible says. You've been bought with a price. So what God now wants to do is own you. If he can't own you, even though you've been let in for free, then you're going to be in opposition to the owner of the kingdom. He says, if you're going to seriously follow me, I must become your first priority. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All of life is to be lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That Jesus Christ gets to tell you what to do. That's what it means. That you are now under his authority. Learn to develop the kind of connection with God that turns being under authority from a pressure into a pleasure. Check out Tony's CD series, The Lord's Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Now, back to the Bible study, you're listening to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross, it's about my sin, it's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about on Exploring the Word, we love to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is Jesus came, perfect, lived a life of perfection would go to the cross, and there he would die, becoming our sacrifice, buried, and then he did what? Rose again? Uh, In the book of Acts, it's so funny, Paul would be preaching, and all the Gentiles and even the Jews, yeah, that's right, and then he'd get to the resurrection, and then they would say, no way. You know, the resurrection changes everything, and uh, that's what Exploring the Word is trying to do is change things in your life. If you're going in the wrong direction, we want you, the word repent means to turn around and come and come to Christ and live up to what God made you for, and that is to know Him and to glorify Him forever. Again, this is Exploring the Word, and Alex, I'll let you again introduce our guest, and then we're going to get to the, uh, some we, of those we questions. Are. We are. Well, we've got Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries, just a valued colleague and a powerful voice in apologetics for many, many years. Kirby, what's the website for Probe? www.probe.org, probe.org. That's wonderful. Dave Glander, Reasons for Hope. You and I have shared the stage many times in all sorts of conferences. Reasons for Hope, uh, what's your website? R-F-O-R-H.com. It stands for Reason, excuse me, Reasons for Hope, R-F-O-R-H.com. And uh, I'm assuming both of your websites, your ministry info schedule is up there. That's great. And by the way, Kirby, you mentioned the booklets that you've done. those are so wonderful. I've got some of those right now and appreciate that. I got to tell you this, and then we are going to go to questions, but Gary Habermas, world expert on the resurrection. Uh, I was in graduate school myself, Mike Lacona, who's also a great apologist, and just one of our close friends was Gary Habermas. And I well remember, I don't know if this was 96 or 97, Gary Habermas said to me, he said, hey, keep me in prayer. I've got a journalist who wants to interview me. I think he's going to write a book as an investigative journalist yeah. about Christianity, and uh, who knows, it might go somewhere. So, and um, that's funny, folks. You may have heard of a little book, sold ten 
million copies called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Kirby, we're living in the golden age of apologetics, aren't we? I mean, there there were not that many books 50 years ago, and now J. Warner Wallace, Frank Turek, Lee Strobel, Mark Middleburg, Sean McDowell, uh, we've written a few books uh, around this table. I mean, all the all the questions, there are good, solid answers, aren't there? Yeah, there certainly are, and that's one of the difficulties, I think, sometimes now for a Christian that says, what book do I get? It used to be that if somebody says, I've got some questions, we would say, well, mere Christianity, more than a carpenter. Now it's like, okay, which one of the Lee Strobel <laughs> books do I mention? Which one of the yeah. ones of J. Warner Wallace? Which ones of the uh, variety of other authors? Of course, uh, Sean McDowell, John Mc, uh, Josh McDowell, all sorts of Paul individuals. Paul Copan. Yeah. Yes, uh, so good. And every one of those individuals we do interview on but, Point of View. Amen. And I know you occasionally interview them yes. because we're just so gifted with so many individuals articulating a biblical point of view on these issues. Well, I want to throw out a question, and this is as good Good a place as any to begin the conversation. You're listening to Exploring the Word from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, Bert and Alex. Somebody writes in and says this, and I'll listen carefully. How can Christians say their personal religious experiences with God are more true than those of other belief systems? So we, we Christians claim to experience God. Why do we think our experience with God is more true than the experiences of people who believe a, other things? It's kind of a loaded question because they're, they're not asking why do we think our worldview is true, which I would say every belief thinks that. It's not like we're in our own world over here just with this, you know, we've got the monopoly on, on the worldview that we're the only ones. Every worldview thinks that. The, the listener is actually asking a strange question because they're saying why do we think our experiences are any more true than any other worldview, and and I I might pass that question off to somebody else because I'm not sure you can answer that let question. Me, let me start experiences it. is a funny thing because we're dealing with feelings and emotions. I understand, but it's because who the experience is with. Sure, the experience is with God, the Creator, the Redeemer, God, and they say, oh, that doesn't. But when you come to the decision in creation that there's a designer. And then you come and you look, well, this, this religion says this, which one says this? And you start, and I, you can't help but compare on a question like that. Yeah. And you see the one that is consistent. And it, it came up yesterday, logical. I well, mean, I, really, I a lot of them are not even. I would bring it back the, to evidential more exactly. than I would experiential. I would yeah. go to evidential. Well, you have to bring it back to yeah. them. You'll have to turn them around and bring them to you, don't That's what you, I'm Kirby? saying. It was a loaded question, meaning yeah. like the way they asked it, I would say let's twist the question a little bit in order to Dave, properly and, answer. And you hit it, and Kirby, I want to come to you, but I think a lot of the lost world, they assume that we're saying Christianity is true because of my experience. We're not arguing for the truth of Christianity based on our experiences. No. Kirby, what are some of the um, empirical, external reasons that we would believe Christianity is true? Well, first of all, let's just recognize that everybody has experiences. Right now, there are all sorts of best-selling books out about miracles and all sorts of books about people having out-of-body experiences. So everybody's having an experience, but how do you evaluate that in terms of the Word of God? And it brings us back to uh, many of the examples. I know, for example, Bert, that one of the things that caused you to believe Christianity was Messianic prophecy, 
Old Testament prophecy that was literally fulfilled in one individual, statistically off the charts, couldn't even have happened to one individual by chance. You then add to that all the issues of archaeology, and you talk about then just the arguments for the existence of God, and whether you're Alex McFarlane or the other day, Eric Metaxas decided he's going to write a book, Is Atheism Dead? And he's talking about all the things he learned, and I'm thinking, well, Alex and I knew those about three decades ago, but that's good. I'm glad you're writing a best-selling book. Welcome to the party. Yeah, yeah. welcome to the party, pal, you know, as the old line goes. But nevertheless, yeah, and so he goes through, you know, questions on intelligent design. He goes through archaeology. Then he goes through the really fallacious arguments from the so-called new atheist. Uh, a while back, we had uh, Alvin Plantinga, who you know, and he was at uh, Criswell College, and he was uh, stating the fact that when he was reading Richard Dawkins, all the arguments in his arguments against God were sophomoric. But he said, but that would be offensive to sophomores in college. (laughs) (laughs) So there are lots, as we know around this table, good evidence for believing the Bible. And we don't use the experiences to validate the Bible. We use the Bible to evaluate those experiences. And that's like it is. Oh, they're sincere. Well, it could be sincerely sincerely wrong. wrong. You picked it up. Way to go. So somebody uh, writes in and says, who selected what books are in the Bible? Now, this is a question of canonicity. And and I think the question, and many college students deal with this, do we have what was really supposed to be in there? What will happen, people will call in and they say, what about this? Shouldn't it be in there? Shouldn't it not? And and here's my answer. And then you guys Mm -hmm. go with the selection. I said, if God inspired the writing, who would keep him from inspiring the collection? I mean, it would be inconsistent for God to have the authority to have the writing if he did not have, and use men both times, right, to have the collection. I think you have to go both of them. But when you look at the criteria, Kirby and and, and Dave, uh, they they had high criteria for entry into the well, canon. I, I, I believe the early church, the, the the first ones who were getting this whole thing started that we're still talking about 2,000 years ago, they had a trust in the original documents, the epistles. The four gospels were established by the end of the first century. So you can't go adding a fifth or a sixth or however many gospels you want to add because – in first century history, we've already had the establishment of the of the four Gospels. As far as the epistles, there was a truster back then. I mean, for the first 300 years of Christianity, it wasn't popular to be a Christian. If you were caught with a document, were you willing to lay down your life for that document? If it wasn't a trusted epistle that was floating around and being you know hand-transmitted and copied from one person to another then you would be found with this document and it would be like, Alex, you've got your Bible there and I've got a book over there that I wrote. And somebody comes in here and says, would you die for the Bible? Well, I would lay down my life for my belief that the Bible is fact. And and I have faith in that. You wouldn't lay your book down or your life down for a book written by a guy named Dave Glander because I'm, I'm fallible. You know, I could have made a mistake. So it was the same type of thing when there was all these different epistles floating around for the first 300 years, the lie that Dan Brown tried to propagate about, you know, the, 
the uh, Council of Nicaea coming together and, and saying these were the books that we were going to have. By the time that council came together, those books had already been firmly established in the early Christian walk. Affirmation's part of yes. what we're talking yeah. about. And again, if you think about that, because you had the Da Vinci Code, and that's where I started getting all those questions. And we at Pro yeah. Ministries, if I could promote that, put together a video series called Redeeming Da Vinci, mm-hmm. because we recognize that people would come up to us, Alex and uh, Bert, and they would say, well, uh, what about some of these other Gospels? And I said, you know, there was one in National Geographic, the Gospel of Judas. And I always look at him and say, now, do you think that that? Judas wrote that? Well, no, maybe not. Okay, so it probably wasn't written in the first century. Oh, no. Okay, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Yeah, don't, don't think she wrote that either. So these were written much later. These were written by the Gnostics. And so we would just kind of press them a little bit because it's a great question to say, well, do we have the right books in the Bible? Yes, we do, in the canon. What about these other books? Well, there are very good reasons why we reject them. Well, and the, the thing that gets me about that is we have one copy of the Gospel. I'm just making up a number, but we have one copy of the Gospel of Judas. It's right. And we have hundreds, <laughs> hundreds or thousands of, of gospel yes. you know, manuscripts. That's and, good, Dave. And they're like, no, I can't believe that. Yeah. This one, no. I'm like, what? No. Hey, it, let me make sure everybody, we're listening, you are listening to Exploring the Word. And yes, it's more than Alex and Bert. There's a guy here named Dave and a guy named Kirby, and they're helping us answer, and we're having a great time Amen. because we're in Nashville, Tennessee at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and Alex goes out, just hooks people and say, come on in. And that's what we do, <laughs> do. and uh, we love it, and uh, because of that. But we're we're asking questions that people have sent in, asking, and so we're trying to answer some of them. Uh, I, I've got to read a quote, and we're going to go back to the questions. But F. F. Bruce, the great scholar, uh, he said this. Now listen to this, folks, and it relates to the question of can you trust the Bible? Quote. Uh, Dr. Bruce said, the evidence for our New Testament writings is ever so much greater than the evidence for many writings of classical authors, the authenticity of which no one would dream of questioning. If the New Testament had been a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would be generally regarded as beyond all doubt, end of quote. You know, one of the things I thought I might share, you know who John Work Montgomery is. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we at Probe Ministries published a book a number of years ago, and he pulled together all of these uh, materials. And then because the individual that funded it was at Cornell, he went to Cornell University and gave a presentation. And again, we're in this lecture hall, and there are graduate students and there are professors and students and everything. And he goes through the arguments for the documentary legitimacy of the New Testament and then compares it to the scant number of examples we have of mm-hmm. Caesar's Gallic Wars or the Herodotus or Tacitus or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he says, either you accept the historical accuracy of the Bible or you have to reject all the literature of antiquity. Mm-hmm. There's kind of this pregnant pause whereupon one of the professors said, well, then let's throw out all the literature of antiquity. Oh, no. And another professor who was in the antiquities area said, no, Bob, no, Bob, not that. <laughs> not <laughs> that. <laughs> but it was a good example of the fact that you every single day can go into any classroom and professors will give us Roman history as if we have perfect historical evidence of the Roman Empire, and yet most of what we know during one period of Rome comes from sure. Caesar's Gallic Wars, the old boaster himself. We only have a few copies of that. And interestingly enough, they will accept that as historical, but then they will categorically reject the Bible. Sounds a little bit demonic if you yeah. ask me there, guy. You yeah. know, really, a Satan tries to do that, asking those questions, and then completely denial. Isn't that right? Yeah. 
Well, uh, we're going to go to another question. There's so much more, oh, believe me, I would love to say on this, uh, because <laughs> canonicity, the fact is, folks, look, you can trust your Bible. Amen. You really can. Somebody asked this question, why would God command the death of so many people in the Old Testament, for example, the Canaanites? What was... And and we get this, is the God of the New Testament a God of love, but the God of the Old Testament was this, uh, you know, belligerent, warlike deity, kill the Canaanites, yeah. fight the Philistines. Why so many deaths, Dave, in the Old Testament? So I hate this question when an, when an atheist is asking me this question because they try and put me over a barrel because it's, for me, the answer is kind of a spiritual answer, meaning like you have to have some sort of level of discernment in order to understand it. God knew the hearts of the Canaanites. We don't. So when the Israelites were coming in and he says, okay, take out everything, it's because just like Jesus said, a little yeast works its way into the whole dough. If they had gone into that land and said, okay, we're going to keep this selection of, of Canaanites, you know, we're going to take over as many as we have to and let them live, the the practices of the Canaanites would have worked their way into the Israeli culture and the Jewish culture. And that was exactly what God was trying to stop from happening as he was using the Jewish people to perpetuate his plan in the earth and set himself apart as because there were so many different gods back then. You know, God, I'm, if you could see me, I'm putting up the quotes to little <laughs> gods. You know, there were so many different gods back then. God was using the Jewish people to separate himself as the one true God. And you know, ultimately through whom to bring Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Jesus would be born and, through. And, and I don't and, you know, I'm, I'm silly enough to think that if. If God hadn't done the way he said do it, would we have gotten to the purity of the of the gospel of Jesus coming through if the Canaanites had infiltrated their practices into what the well, Jewish culture They tried culture anyway. They tried they anyway. Get, That's what I'm saying. Well, let me tell you, they came out of Egypt, multiplicity of God, yes, yeah. going into Cana, multiplicity of God. Yeah. And the only time that they had the worship of one God was while they were in the wilderness. Yeah. And then they built a they golden calf. Yeah, they, they even met, messed that up. But the whole idea, everybody says that. I love to bring up Rahab. Yeah. And I said, I want to just tell you, God knows the hearts of those uh, people. Right. It goes back to the original thing you said, God knew their heart. Yeah. God knew the heart of Rahab. Yeah. She gathered up those that would believe what she said concerning the God yeah. of the Israelites, and they were saved. Yeah. That would have happened to every one of the Canaanites that would come to him, yep. and he had a justifiable right to do the other because of... He knew their hearts. He knew their he hearts. Knew, he knew they weren't going to That's change. great, man. But what I love about what you just said as far as them coming out of Egypt and then building that golden calf, <laughs> you know, we live in this world where we have all these evidences, and yet we still have, Kirby, you know, we still have a hard time getting people to believe the truth. The, they had all the evidences of the sea split and everything else and yet didn't walk away. So I always ask people, what is the one thing that would convince you? Mm, great question. You're listening to Exploring the Word, the American Family Radio Network. Exploring the Word with Bert and Alex, our very special guests, Dave Glander and Kirby Anderson. Stay tuned. We're coming to you from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention with more Bible, God's Word, apologetics, and defending the faith. Don't go away. Oh, Lord, please let me make it. Please, Lord. Come on, come on. American Family Association or American Family Radio. I missed the show again. Can't find the time to catch the live shows? No worries. Wait, what? You can listen and download all your favorite shows for free. For free? That's right, for free. Just visit the podcast page on AFR.net. Lord. AFR.net. Hey, moms and dads, are you at your wit's end? 
Hi, this is Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm so grateful for the partnership we have with American Family Radio. We share a common goal to bring hope to hurting families through the life-changing medium of radio. Be sure to listen Saturday afternoons at 4.30 Central on American Family Radio. Find help and hope for your family with Parenting Today's Teens. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah weren't the only Jewish exiles in Babylon. They weren't the only people under Nebuchadnezzar who knew that Yahweh expressly prohibited worshiping graven images. Yet they are the only three recorded in Scripture who refused to bow down and worship the golden statue. Though they were an extreme minority, they refused to go along to get along with the Babylonian culture. The way of Christ following may be in the minority today. It is, nevertheless, the way. Resolute is the disposition of the fully persuaded. In this modern-day Babylon, be one of the three. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, verse 3, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The world is turbulent, and peace can be hard to find. Yet God promises perfect peace when you trust in Him. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. The phrase translated perfect peace is actually shalom, shalom. When troubles multiply, so does God's peace. Worries about the future are like a bundle of sticks too heavy for you to lift. God doesn't ask you to carry the whole load at once. He'll untie the bundle, He'll give you one small stick for today, and then He'll help you carry it. Don't be weighted down by your cares. Trust in the Lord. He'll give you perfect peace. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. As we go, let us make disciples. As we go, let us tell the world of Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 famously says, Be ready to give an answer. We want to rise to the challenge of 1 Peter 3.15, set apart Christ in our hearts, being prepared, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that we have. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. So glad you're listening. Now, I will tell you, this is a pre-recorded Exploring the Word, because by the time you hear this, uh, I'll be on an airplane, and Bert, you'll be on the road, be on the road but... Uh, Low, I am with you. Er, yeah, not, you high. not high. Oh, man. <laughs> well... I'm going to risk it, but okay, uh, okay. I'll tell you, if you want to improve your prayer life, do as much flying as I do, because I, I assure you, uh, you'll be doing a lot of praying. Uh, very special guest, Dave Glander of Reasons for Hope, Kirby Anderson. Both of you I just uh, love and appreciate so much. Before the break, uh, Kirby, we were talking about the God of the Old Testament, uh, the kill the Canaanites, because Israel was coming into the land. You know, Paul Copan that we mentioned uses a great word, Moral sufficiency. 
And and here's the thing, folks. You read the Old Testament, and to our 21st century ears, I mean, it might sound rough, you know, well, purge the land, kill the Canaanites. Here's what Paul Copan was saying. Look, for more than four centuries, Israel is coming into the land, and there are, you know, thousands of Canaanites and the what the Bible calls the people of the land that fought Israel. So what would be worse for several thousand Canaanites to die who in more than 400 years would not repent? What would be worse, the killing of some pagans or for humanity not to have a savior? And, and had Israel been exterminated and Jesus not been born, the world would not have had a redeemer. So Copan says God had a morally sufficient reason to preserve Israel. Um, I, I think that's valid. I do, too. And again, first of all, if somebody wanted to get a Paul Copan book, uh, they could do that. But if they want to go to our website, probe.org, we had one of our staff put together a whole series of what are called the Yahweh Wars, because there were more than a few wars, and how you would respond to those, pulling from a lot of Paul Copan's material and some other academic material. So that's free of charge. You just type in the uh, Yahweh wars or, um, you know, genocidal God or those kinds of things. But that was the first part of the question. The other part of the question I thought I might mention real quickly, and that is we have an evil God, a, a vindictive God in the Old Testament, a loving God in the New Testament. And the problem with that is it seems to suggest that after the Old Testament canon was done, God's then popping a Prozac all the <laughs> for about 400 years. And then now he's saying, and consider the lilies of the field, and then eventually is a loving God. But I would like to remind people that in the New Testament, there's also this book called the Revelation. And there you see the justice and the judgment of God as well. So this this trite idea that God was kind of angry in the Old Testament, merciful in the New Testament, I can find examples and contradictions all the way through that. And if nothing same else, same God, right? Same Kirby. God, and uh, didn't be wasn't taking Prozac at the time. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, a listener writes in: Why do some people find God and some do not? Why does God seem hidden. Bert, now you were a pastor for 30 years, and and I I know um, people go through some deep valleys, and people ask the question, why? Where where is God? Uh, I I wonder if this question comes to us from a painful circumstance, but why does does God seem hidden, Bert? Well, you find what you're looking for, Uh, and I know that sounds like and I want to go to archaeology on this, and you guys, here I am, the pastor with three apologist guys, but good pastors have some apologetic preaching Amen. in there, so I want to encourage you pastors to keep on digging. But archaeology, I think, has proven that uh, what what's happened, archaeologists that were looking for something else found evidence of what God was doing, and and so God is not hidden Uh, He has revealed himself, and that's the whole idea. The book of Hebrews starts out that way. God has revealed himself in the creation. God revealed himself then in the law. And it goes a little bit to what you were talking about in the Old Testament, the revelation of God. God reveals himself, and in these last days has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And so that revelation, you've got to have eyes to see Satan has blinded the minds of individuals and a lot of that hiddenness is not not from God's evidence or who God is it's from the person who's looking and also them being willing to be led astray 
by Satan himself. I might just mention, a minute ago we talked about that book that was edited by John Wart Montgomery. There was a chapter in there on the hiddenness of God, but again, since people don't want to buy a book, one of our probe staff members, <laughs> You're Lou saving Whitworth, our people a lot of money, Kirby. You're doing yeah. good, man. Lou Whitworth took that chapter and created a week of radio programs on the hiddenness of God. But I think there's always the assumption, Alan, so I'd like to get your thoughts about this, because the assumption is if we could just give them the right miracles. But do you remember the story of the rich man and Luke, Lazarus? Luke 16. Yes, go for that, that, That's true. Do you know what? I, um, I've come to believe that um, atheists, that they might say, well, uh, you know, I just, I don't see God. You know, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't think anybody is going to leave this world, stand before God and say, oh, there was a God. I did not see this coming. <laughs> no, everybody knows. In fact, the book of Romans says man is without excuse. Romans 1. Because yeah. mm-hmm. people really did know. And one atheist said to me, in fact, in fact, I'll just tell you, it was Christopher Hitchens. He said, um, where's the evidence for God? And I said, the, the mere fact that you and I are talking about him. You know, um, and have you, have you guys ever noticed atheists talk more about God than most yeah. preachers I know. I mean, am I right, David? Yeah. So I, I, I try not to forget my atheism, meaning like and I, it, I don't ever want to forget what I was thinking then because it makes me less powerful to reach them now. And I remember why God didn't reveal himself to me, and it's because I was God. And how is God going to reveal himself to somebody who's playing God? And so I would say to somebody, if you really think he's revealed, are you asking God to be God this way or that way? Or are you willing to accept him the way he is? Because, you know, the greatest thing I brought to God when I met him was nothing. I had no agenda. It wasn't like, I'll serve you if. There was no ifs. I just came so empty-handed and went from a radical militant atheist to a born-again Jesus freak because I accepted God for everything. that, And I had to do a lot of changing in my mind. You know, I was pro-abortion. I was pro-gay marriage. I was pro all these things because who cares? Carpe diem. There's no God. And I, so I had to have an open mind and change all of that to, to get my thinking to reflect his thinking. Are you willing to do that? Because if you're not, you're playing God and you'll never find him. Let me let you know you're listening to Exploring the Word. It sounds a little bit different. And, yes, it's more than Bird and Alex. It's Kirby Anderson and, and Dave Glander. They're with us as guests. And we're coming from Nashville at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. And they agreed to come in today and look at these, uh, you know, look questions and help us answer them. I remember uh, a guy, he was talking about, you know, people that thought they were God. Can you imagine them going out at the seacoast and, and they're saying, I am God? He said, how God is that? said, I am God. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is so true. That, But that's where people want to put themselves. Don't you think that's where Darwinian right, it, goes, it goes right back to Satan saying, I can, how come I can't be God? Yeah. I mean, it's not a new thing. And that's why Wicca is so... Uh, popular with with youth and and cutting you know cutting is a huge thing with youth because they can control that they can be god of the moment and and i just want to encourage people let god be god he's so much better at being god than i will ever be (laughs) one of the greatest news i got after i was saved was i never have to play god not even for a single moment and so get out of god's way and let him be god um, so somebody asked this question, and uh, any anyone around the table said, "If if Jesus is so wonderful and life changing, why do many who claim to be Christian live lives that don't look like it?" I think we're right back to the same answer. Yeah. You're still playing God. You're, you Guess know. what? There's nothing new under the sun. Let me think about a few people in the Bible. Demas having loved the present world. Uh, 
I'm telling you, I think Chuck Colson had this answer. And he was talking about why man was, you know, denom- all, there's no denomination that's just right. There's no church that's just right. There's no ministry that's got every answer and just right. And it's one answer because we are men. Yeah. And men, I, I'm telling you, left up to our own devices, it's always destruction, guys. And the battle's on. Once yeah. you come to Christ, Dave, did you lose that, that human nature? No. Paul said, oh, we wretched man yeah. that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. Yeah. You know, the battle's always on, isn't I was, it? I was a 105-pound meth addict when I met the Lord, and I tell people, I'm like, if you really want something messed up, give it to Dave Glander. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I will figure out how to mess it up. But if you give it to me knowing that I'm serving the Lord and my entire person is after the will of God, then it can succeed because I've gotten out of the way. And, and so we're, we're back to that. But here's what I want to say to that. I, it, there's not really a good answer as to why don't people look more like Christ. It, it, the, the answer is, is because they're still trying to hold on to so much control that they're making decisions outside of the will of God. Anything outside of the will of God, of course, isn't going to look like God. And, uh, but I want to say don't judge God on people's behavior. Yeah. That's the problem Ooh. that I see so much of. That there's this, especially in youth ministry, that there's this rejection of Christianity because of Christians. And I'm like, Christian behavior in a, in a, in a person's life doesn't dictate who God is or said to do. Right. That's two totally different things. A person's behavior can reflect the will of God if they're, if they're sold out to that. But don't judge God on a person's behavior. Exactly. Kirby, let me ask you this. In, in American Christianity over the last few decades, have we um, not emphasized enough the fact that if you turn your life over to Christ, your life should look different? I mean, we, th- there was a phrase you used to hear called easy believism. And and I get it. Salvation is a free gift. We don't have to earn it. But if our life has been legitimately changed by the Lord Jesus, we're no longer our own. Our life is supposed to look different. The objection that Christians are hypocrites or those who profess Christ don't look like, is it because we've not really given a full gospel message of a new life in Christ? I think so. And, of course, Dave was asking that question. Where are the other hot-hearted Christians? You know, where are the people that I thought would be as excited about being a Christian as I am? And uh, that is, I think, back to a key point. First of all, for those that are listening right now, there's a very good book that came out by Dave Kinneman called uh, Ex-Christians. And mm. uh, as a matter of fact, there was another very good book that came out as well by uh, Bill Hendricks, who was Howard Hendricks's son. And a couple of these people have all come to the same conclusion. Uh, the best way to kill the evangelistic uh, opportunities is to have hypocritical Christians. And mm. we have a lot of those. And it's interesting because, you know, Bert, you and I have been around for a long time. We remember people say, well, I'm never going to go to that church because it's full of hypocrites. And so that's always been the convenient excuse. But if you go back and look at these surveys almost to a person, and we just did one recently at Pro Ministries we talked about here on your program, uh, shows that it's the whole issue of hypocrisy that is what is keeping so many people from becoming Christians. And, you know, campus ministry used to really be blowing and going, and it's kind of stalled because the non-Christians are looking at the Christians saying, you don't seem any different than I am. And so I think it brings us back to Alex and Bert, really what we need to do is from the pulpits, you're a former pastor, and from uh, these broadcasts, we just need to call people to a higher standard of living and live out the Christian life before the watching world. One more thing before you do that. Have you noticed all the commercials about stolen identity? Mm-hmm. Mm. 
That's what Satan yeah. tries to specialize in. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't have to have your social security well, number. Well, what was the first I'm, thing I said? I had to change my mind. I yeah. had to become Christ like and not exactly. accept abortion and, that's and your, marriage. That's like, your, and that's your new identity. Yeah, that's isn't what I'm saying. It? And, and, and you, you know, live we're, up to it. We're trying to tell people as hard as this is for an unsafe person to understand that look, I'm not asking you to invite a Christian into your life who might let you down, oh, that's good. but the Lord Jesus Christ, who never will. This is Exploring the Word, the American Family Radio Network, uh, Bird and Alex, with our very special guest, uh, Dave Glander and Kirby Anderson. You know, time fleets away. I wish we could uh, unpack this, but I- I've got to ask this. Uh, we're talking, Bert, and isn't it a privilege, these oh, great, yeah. great thinkers, great defenders of the faith. Uh, Dave, um, what is the scripture verse or passage that that means so much to, to you? I know sometimes people say a life verse. If the, if there's one portion of God's word that is nearest and dearest to your heart, Dave, what is that? There's two. When I sign my books, I sign John three seventeen because everybody knows what John three sixteen <laughs> yes. says. But I'm like, did you read the next verse though? Because he didn't come to condemn you. And there's so many Christ- people who feel like Christianity is condemning, and I'm like, it, it's not. It's there's grace for that, except the grace and change yes. through that. But really, in, in Ephesians, it's it's God had a plan before he created the world that you might walk in these things and do good works through Jesus Christ. I'm combining two different verses. But I just stop and I'm like, wait, he hadn't even spoke Genesis 1 into account yet. And he knew my name. He knew the year I'd be born. He knew the time I would be born. And before he even created the world, he spoke my purpose into existence. I don't know about you, but if that doesn't just blow your mind out of the water. And he brought you to Jesus, and you were redeemed, and he didn't override your free will, and he didn't violate his nature. Talk about multitasking. Oh, Uh, absolutely. Isn't that great? Kirby Anderson. Uh, the portion of Scripture nearest and dearest to your heart, share it, please. Since we're real close on time, let me just mention maybe Second Corinthians ten three through five. You know, you've already talked about First uh, Peter three fifteen, but there's another part about tearing down strongholds and lofty thoughts raised up against the knowledge of God, but taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, we're told in Colossians two eight not to be taken captive. So either we take every thought captive, or the culture takes us captive with their false belief. Amen. And your website is. Probe.org, Probe.org. And it's full of wonderful resources. Dave Glander, your website. R-F-O-R-H, which is Reasons for Hope, shortened.com. Well, Bert, this is exciting, I just got to say Philippians 1-6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began that work in me will complete it. To the day of Christ, in the day of Christ. Amen. Isn't One of my Amen. favorite verses, and we're going to leave you with this. And folks, I want you to think about this. John six forty, Jesus said, whoever sees the Son, now that means to understand and accept, whoever sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life, and I will raise you up at the last day. Amen. Hey, th- those are verses that I- I'm going to write them down and preach on each one of those the next four weeks. Amen. They're- <laughs> Thank y'all, guys. Thank, Thank you, appreciate gentlemen, you. so much. It's We're, so good, Alex, to be with you live. Yes. And uh, let's, let's, let me see if we can do NRB next year. Uh, we, we probably <laughs> should. Folks, you've been listening to the American Family Radio Network, the show Exploring the Word with Bert Harper and Alex McFarland. Hey, please go to AFR.net. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. <laughs> 